the humanities tell us what it means to be human. And when you're a refugee, you don't, you haven't forgotten you're a human, but often the rest of the world has. This is R.J. McGill from the American Academy in Berlin, and you're listening to Beyond the Lecture. Keith David Wattenpaul is professor and director of human rights studies at the University of California, Davis. Since 2013, he has directed a multidisciplinary international research program to assist refugee university students and scholars fleeing the war in Syria. The effort is called the Article 26 Backpack Project, supported by the Ford Foundation. On February 27, 2018, Wattenpaul was at the American Academy as a Richard von Weizsäcker Distinguished Visitor to deliver a talk about the marriage of his scholarly work as a renowned historian of the Middle East and as a person who cares deeply about the plight of people fleeing war and into an unknown future. Wattenpaul sat down with American Academy President Michael Steinberg to discuss his work, the digital backpack, and some concrete methods of social integration. One of your initiatives is called Article 26 Backpack. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So Article 26 is the um, article in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was established in 1948, and then became part of international law through a series of treaties and conventions that followed over the next two decades. And Article 26 establishes the human right to education, um, both on the, under, on the primary level and then uh, education, uh, higher education, or technical training for others. And it's also uh, sort of evolved into an underlying idea about the right to lifetime learning. But the backpack itself, um, it's not a physical backpack. It's a digital or virtual backpack. And its core purpose is to help refugee and other at-risk young people uh, safely store and share, and in some cases have evaluated critical academic um, information and data about themselves, diplomas or certificates, but also a place to store creative works and other accomplishments to record a, a brief statement of purpose, uh, letters of recommendation. It's, it's, a place, it's a place for people who are often on the move, who are in difficult and dangerous situations, to secure those parts of their educational identity that are fundamental to helping them move on. And one of the great attributes of the backpack is that it's very easy for a backpacker, those are what we call people who have backpacks, to um, identify those documents or parts of their portfolio that they want to share with others. And with the click of a button, a safe and secure link can be sent to an employer or a scholarship agency or university. So your focus is mostly higher education. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten any resistance? No. I think that historically, um, UN agencies... um, historically focused primarily on primary education, in part because their mandate was to help children. Uh, But then there was a growing realization that if you didn't also identify and support those eligible for higher education, that you wouldn't be producing your next generation of teachers or doctors or nurses who would then be responsible for caring for uh, refugee populations. In, In this it's ever since the the wars in the Balkans, there's a very a troubling statistic around refugees, which is it's usually about 18 to 20 years before an individual refugee is ever resettled or returns home. You know, we're talking about almost a generation of displacement. So any kind of program that doesn't think both about primary education but links it to opportunities for secondary, what the Europeans call tertiary education, is a failure to acknowledge the reality of the length that people are often displaced. So, of course, one 
goal or purpose of higher education is entry into professions, mm -hmm. whether it's in the new society or whether it involves going back mm -hmm. home. Uh, you mentioned becoming a doctor, engineer, etc. Uh, but you're also a strong advocate for the humanities mm -hmm. uh, as a dimension of higher education, and that is possibly a more unusual move these days. How do you combine the humanities uh, with professional education as a main focus? Look, the humanities tell us what it means to be human, and when you're a refugee, you don't, you haven't forgotten you're a human, but often the rest of the world has. It's easy to dismiss the refugee, to label them as just a, you know, so much flotsam and jetsam. And the humanities are a way that we can remind ourselves. But the, the overemphasis on what we call in America STEM fields and any form of development, I think misses the incredible value that the humanities and arts plays in, in the lives of communities. And I think for refugees, this is especially important because their part of becoming a refugee is also having so much of your identity and culture stripped away from you. You're being forced out of the out of your own country, where cultural institutions and monuments and history itself is is all around you. When you're forced into exile, you don't you can't take many of those things with you. But music, the some of the arts, literature, poetry, these are elements of identity that can travel with the refugee. Um, as well. And, you know, my, my real concern is that as so many human beings are being forced into displacement, that one of the things they're going to be asked to abandon is, in fact, the culture that they grew up in, um, they're, as they're being asked to integrate or assimilate into new societies. Opening opportunities for refugees to participate in the arts and humanities is an important counterbalance to that sort of not it's it's not always on purpose, but the reality that so much of their identity is being stripped away from them um, in through this process of displacement. So Hannah Arendt, who's one of the profound thinkers of displacement and statelessness, including her own experience as a refugee from Nazi Germany, uh, she has a very poignant line. I don't know if I remember this accurately about mm -hmm. humanities or humanity beginning around a table. Arendt's idea of humanity beginning around a table. Uh, is something that we is a tool or an idea that we can continue to use in exile as we bring young people more and more into our institutions of higher learning or our cultural institutions. We just don't want them to be you know sitting in the audience on the receiving end. We want them around the table talking and sharing and learning and arguing um, with us. And how unusual is that in terms of their own prior experience? Within an academic setting, it is very unusual. Um, higher education countries like Syria and even Iraq and to some extent uh, Turkey is exceedingly hierarchical, uh, where the professor just sort of stands at the front of the room and you're expected to take notes. Sort of a, a, um, a movement towards collaborative learning, uh, you know, the classic seminar style, which I think has never really gone out of, out of date as far as I'm concerned, um, brings people into the conversation and asks them to engage not just with a subject matter, but to engage with one another in a, in a, in a kind of uh, conversation that, that moves, that brings people along a path. And do you think they'll be able to bring that kind of style 
back to their home countries? Or do they, do they talk about that? You'll talk to the more senior educators around the refugee students who've been able to get into um, more um, American and European-style institutions, for example, in the Middle East. And they talk about how much fun they have in writing papers and then talking about them. Which, yeah, I mean, that, it's something that's very... It was very rare, but that that someone is going to listen to them and take what they say seriously um, makes learning come alive. My sense is that the overwhelming number of Syrians will not go home. It would be wonderful if they could bring home these sort of lessons of exile and integrate it into higher education. But I think it's more um, critical to use that style to help build a bridge between their prior forms of education experience and then being able to work effectively in Western um, institutions. I wanted to ask you briefly about impressions of Germany and Berlin. Immigration and now more specifically integration are big themes in German society and politics. There's always the anxiety about the newcomer. Who are they? What are they going to do? How are they going to change our society? I've spent some time with higher education leaders at both the Free University and Humboldt University. And listening to them, I think many of their concerns are around making certain that they try to reduce the kinds of arbitrary institutional barriers so that that it, it eases the transition and that the um, young people who from different um, educational backgrounds or with lim- more limited use of German language skills will still have an opportunity to, to enter university. You see a self-analysis of traditions and practices, especially in, in bureaucracies, uh, which I think is a very important first step to trying to understand if these are absolutely necessary and also to wonder if the use of these uh, bureaucratic measures um, create an opportunity for a kind of socially acceptable prejudice or forms of discrimination. You made a distinction between social integration and yeah, civic and integration inclusion. and social inclusion. Can you say a little bit more sure. about that? Primarily, I mean, it has two elements to it. One is successfully bringing uh, newcomers into the established civil uh, rights regime of a democratic state, which is absolutely important, right? This is either the right to vote or the right to residency, the right to live without fear within the society. But that what I've noticed, especially in the way that this works in Europe in particular, is that it also becomes uh, interlaced with uh, cultural expectations. So in other words, you know, we want the newcomers to become familiar or to even adopt um, certain kinds of practices that we say are German or Dutch or French or Belgian, because the idea is that if integrating that kind of cultural behavior and activity is seen as a shortcut to um, loyalty to the state, to social cohesion. And my argument is that that, that's doesn't, that doesn't work, that the idea of social inclusion is that the host society moves towards the newcomer just as the newcomer moves towards the host society and builds in kinds of accommodations, especially around language and culture, um, that, that helps to bring those individuals into the mainstream of, of the society. And that includes, you know, not building ghettoized housing developments. Uh, that includes the use of bilingual education, printing materials in multiple languages so that people can can navigate systems. It includes, for example, at hospitals and other places, having on-call people who can 
be translators. You know, these are the kinds of, of, of accommodations that can be made that aren't terribly onerous, but it creates a better sense of welcoming and a commitment to upholding the basic human rights of the newcomers who aren't, you know, they may not be German, but they're still human. And my sense is that that builds an incredible loyalty to the society, um, a sense of, of co-ownership of it, and that this is a direction that will achieve a kind of social cohesion, allaying one of the great anxieties of newcomers coming in. So those are the kinds of accommodations that help build citizenship and citizens, not necessarily members of a, of a national community. Germany will not be the same country that it is today 10 years from now because of all the newcomers coming in. And I'm sure for some parts of German society, just like American society, that is frightening. Keith, thanks for being here, coming to Berlin, uh, for lecturing to us, uh, for talking with us. Thank you very much. That was Keith David Wattenpaul, professor and director of human rights studies at the University of California, Davis. He was at the American Academy as a Richard von Weizsäcker Distinguished Visitor in February 2018 to deliver a lecture entitled Suffering, Compassion, and Responsible Scholarship about the Middle East. He was speaking with the president of the American Academy in Berlin, Michael Steinberg. You can watch Paul's lecture on the audio-video section of our website, americanacademy.de, where you can also hear more of our Beyond the Lecture podcast series interviews. You can also get the latest content from the American Academy on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Vimeo. Beyond the Lecture is a production of the American Academy in Berlin and is produced by William Glucroft. I'm your host, R.J. McGill. Thanks for listening. <laughs>